Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. In the late 1980s, the Detroit Red Wings hockey team was a laughingstock, often called the Dead Wings. After a wealthy pizza magnate bought the franchise, the failing franchise, he appointed an unorthodox general manager to build a championship team, throwing off conventional wisdom. The new GM uh, looked to America's mortal enemy in the Cold War, and that would be the Soviet Union. Though the plot sounds like a spy novel, the Red Wings organization brought in one Russian after another, sneaking in under the cover of night, whisking them to the Motor City of Detroit, only to find new players faced another problem, integration. And with that, this is sort of the backstory behind this remarkable new documentary called The Russian Five, and we're, we're joined today by the director of that film, and that is Joshua Real. Joshua, welcome to Film School. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I thoroughly enjoyed this film, and I'll tell you why. Just as a sports fan, first of all, I'm old enough to have sort of, I remembered it. I didn't remember sort of the downtime of the of the Red Wings, because it always seemed like they were a good team, but I wasn't an avid follower of, of hockey, so I, it sort of seemed like they were always pretty good. But in this, but I, I was familiar enough with sort of the broad outlines of the story. But just putting aside my my sports fan hat for a second, this is just a terrific story. It's a terrific yeah. story about these these five men who came to America to play hockey. Tell me a little bit about what inspired you to move forward with this uh, documentary film. Well, I grew up, uh, you know, just outside of Detroit. So, you know, I lived through the story as it was happening. Uh, you know, when they finally won the cup in 1997, it was, you know, between middle school and high school. So, you know, quite formative years. Um, and, you know, obviously the accident to Vladimir Konstantinov was really impactful for everyone sort of in the area. Um, for me, Vladimir had become my favorite player on the team. So, uh, even more so. And then, uh, you know, I, my dream was to, to make films my plan was to, you know, graduate high school and go to NYU film school and, and from there, you know, pursue pursue that dream. But uh, my, for my first semester of uh, community college here, just trying to take care of some uh, prereqs, I was in a car accident. And so I broke my spine and ended up having three surgeries over the course of six years. And, you know, it kind of kept me sane in that time was watching basically three films a day and then the Red Wings or the Tigers whenever they were playing. Um, and, you know, through that, Vladimir Konstantinov kind of became a source of inspiration because of his perseverance. You know, he was never able to regain a, a quote-unquote normal life, uh, but he didn't give up on himself. He kept persevering at the point where he was having art shows. Uh, when Steve Eisenman retired, they, when they hung his jersey, Vladdy actually walked across the ice. Um, so, you know, my grandparents got me a Konstantinov jersey uh, for Christmas during that time, and it was sort of this, like, lightning rod catalyst movement where i was like okay i i can get through this what i'm going through is pales in comparison to what he went through and he he persevered why can't i so i knew i wanted to tell the story um when the time was right so you know i went to film school uh i started working for a director al reinert uh who directed for all mankind um and we were working on a film and one day al asked me while we were driving around east texas you know what was the story i wanted to tell as a director 
I told him the story of the Russian five and he's just got really excited. He was like, you have to go make this film to the point where, you know, he, he threatened to stop hiring me on his project if I didn't try. <laughs> oh, so, okay. So just because we call the show film school radio, I'm just kind of curious what was, so you had him as a sort of a resource, but was there some, yeah. was there something in the process that got you from where you were that sitting, t- talking to him that day to where you are sitting here talking to me that now oh. that what was that sort of, was there a sort of a process that you were going through yeah. or someone who stepped up to really help you in making the film? Uh, it's a seven year journey. Um, you know, so from that moment, uh, you know, really actually it was after that shoot that I got back to Austin where I was living. Uh, and I started writing letters to all the people involved in the, in the, in the film. And, you know, a couple of months later, Jim White got back to me and he's, he's the CEO of the Dallas Stars. So he was like, Hey, if you just want to drive up by 35, you know, we'll, let's chat and we'll see what's go- what's up. What's your idea? So I did that and I pitched him the film and he got really excited and then he gave me more phone numbers and started introducing me to, you know, Ken Holland and Jim DeVolano and Steve Eiserman. Um, so slowly I was able to put the, the, the characters together, but then I needed the money and, you know, that's often the hardest part <laughs> of, uh, of getting a film made. And so, uh, to make a long story short, I had a, you know, an investor who said he would fund it if I got everyone on board and I got everyone on board and he disappeared. So, you know, kind of stuck with the project initiated and I didn't want to look like an idiot to all these guys that were my heroes and getting them to agree to do it and then just disappearing. So I, I ended up moving all my stuff into storage and moving back home to Detroit uh, to try to find the money. And that's where I met Jenny Fedorovich, uh, who signed on to become the lead producer. And she brought in Dan Milstein, who was our executive producer. And within six months of moving back to Michigan, we were fully funded and, and shooting uh, our first interviews at Sergey Fedorov's Hockey Hall of Fame induction in the fall of 2015. Oh, fantastic. What a great story. What a great story. Well, let's let's step back a little bit here and describe for our audience the people that we're talking about. Who are the Russian Five? So yeah. why, why don't you run through, and, and and then we can go in, if you kind of segue into the getting the first Russians involved. We can talk about Jim uh, Devolano and his role as a general manager. But let's just yeah. start with identifying who these uh, incredible hockey players were. Yeah, so, you know, the first guy to come over was Sergei Fedorov. And, you know, he came when he was 19, 20 years old. Uh, of all the Russians, he was definitely the most uh, Americanized, even before he got here. Uh, you know, in Russia, he grew up dreaming of owning, you know, nice cars. So that was like one of the things that the Red Wings sort of bribed him with to come to America, which was, you know, we're going to give you a Corvette. Um, you know, and so Sergei kind of became the superstar of the group. And yeah. then... You know, a year later, Vladimir Konstantinov came over, and, and Vladdy was a little bit older. He was about 24, 25. Uh, he was a captain, not just in the Soviet hockey team, but he was a captain in the Soviet military. Uh, and he had a wife and a daughter. So for him to come over, the, you know, the Red Wings had to orchestrate, basically, uh, you know, these crazy things to get him released from the military. And then, you know, getting his wife and daughter out weren't easy. And he actually had to leave them behind in Budapest for 48 hours, um, just trusting that the Red Wings would carry through and, and bring him over. Yeah. Uh, you know, and he sort of became the Vladinator uh, that we all knew him as. He <laughs> grew into this just fierce player who sort of played both the Russian and the North American style. 
Um, and he was a guy who just intimidated everyone else on the ice. Um, and then next came Slava Kozlov, who was sort of the baby of the bunch. And, you know, and his story is interesting in that, you know, at one point he was considered to possibly have more talent than any of the other Russians, but he was in a really serious car accident. Um, and I personally believe that some of the psychological scars from that car accident maybe limited him. Um, then came, you know, the two elder statesmen who had already been in America who didn't defect, but they kind of fought their, for their release and, and Slava Fatisov and er, Igor Larionov. And, you know, these two guys were sort of a, you know, the, think of them as Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan of Russian hockey, you know, mm. the two greatest players to ever play. And, you know, once they kind of, they joined the Red Wings, that was what sort of made the five-man unit work. So you had these three young, super talented guys and these two older veterans who, in their heyday, were, you know, incredible. Now they're on the downside of their careers, but they have that intelligence and that leadership. And the most important thing is, is that they didn't have the Stanley Cup yet, you know. Larianov and Fatisov, they owned every piece of championship trophy that you could possibly win in hockey to that point besides the Stanley Cup. And so, you know, once the younger guys saw how bad these guys that they looked up to and worshipped their whole lives wanted the Stanley Cup, what it meant to them, I think for the young Russians it was a moment where they said, okay, we want it too. Well, let, let's, and I don't want to give a whole lot of the story away, because I really think people were just, it's such a thrill to watch this film. There's so many, there are a, a lot of different elements that go beyond yeah. the hockey here. But I, but I also, you know, sort of, I think we need to describe just what a, uh, what a state that the Detroit Red Wings were in. We, we described them earlier as the Dead Wings during this period yeah. of time. But let's talk about sort of, you know, the the city itself, and I think yeah. every almost, I mean, certainly every American has, has seen the decline in the industrial uh, strength of the United <laughs> States, the sort of the manufacturing uh, part of our economy, and Detroit seems to epitomize this sort of, uh, the rust belt, the, the loss of <laughs> jobs, uh, w- blue-collar jobs, and so let's get sort of give it some context here, what what was going on in Detroit, and, 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 and in, into this <laughs> mix comes this uh, always storied uh, um, hockey team that is now in on the downside. So Yeah, well, I mean, if you think about, you know, Detroit, you know, in the 50s was, I mean, it was the powerhouse of America. And, you know, since then, in this gradual decline, and obviously white flight that kind of came after the riots or the rebellion, however you want to describe it, in 67, kind of accelerated that so that by the time the 80s came, you know, downtown Detroit was sort of vacant. People were leaving. Um, Businesses were leaving. It was just a really economically depressed time. You know, manufacturing was starting to leave. That would become accelerated as jobs began to be automated and outsourced. So, you know, you have this community who just a couple decades prior, it was was the epicenter of of the Midwest and manufacturing units to call Detroit the Paris of the Midwest. Um, And, you know, by the time Mike Gillich took over the team, it was abandoned buildings everywhere and skyrocketing unemployment. You know, the thing about Detroit is, you know, if there's something about our culture, I think it's, it's music and sports, right? You know, Jeff Daniels says it in the film where the Red Wings were kind of a sap for the, for the city of Detroit, where, you know, it, if they were doing well, we felt a little bit better about ourselves. And, you know, Mike Gillich loved the city. So, you know, not only did he buy the Red Wings in 82, but he bought the Fox Theater downtown and, and, you know, put a lot of money into renovating that. and was one of the first really business owners to say, 
uh, we're going to bring jobs back to the city. So, you know, all of that kind of created a situation where you have this fan base who they don't have anything to cheer for when they desperately need something to cheer for to kind of feel a little bit better about what's going on economically or in community wise. And Mike Gillich knew that. And so, you know, he said, I want to bring a winner to the city to give them something to, you know, put a smile on their face, give them something to, to get excited about. And, you know, it really was that sort of mentality of we'll do whatever it takes to, to accomplish this idea. So it's getting in Jim Devolano and, you know, there are a whole bunch of other crazy tactics like Mike Gillich actually tried before they tried drafting Russians. Um, you know, they signed a ton of free agents, uh, at one point, I think they had like 40 players under contract. They didn't know if any of them could play, but they're like, let's just sign a bunch of guys and see who can play. <laughs> um, you know, but 1989 rolled around, and Jim Devolano and his scouts knew <clears throat> things were maybe changing a little bit in the Soviet Union. Larionov and Petisov uh, had struggled for their release, so they came here. And they knew Fedorov was, you know, in an open system, he would have been the number one overall pick, hands down. But they didn't know if they could get him. But they also knew they had this owner who, again, was willing to do whatever it took. Right? right. So Mike Gillett said, if we if we got to pay people to get these guys out, we'll do it. If we got to hire lawyers, we'll do it. Let's just do whatever it takes to make the team better. So, you know, <laughs> the third round, they drafted Sergei Fedorov. And then the 11th round, Vladimir Konstantinov. And the rest, as they say, becomes history. Yeah. it's That part of the story is great. That's sort of the, the gamesmanship of, not, this is where the sort of geopolitics of the time blend with the the business of sport and, and, and also sort of, uh, you know, just sort of a faith that things will, as you said, will, you know, they'll do whatever they need to do to get them there. I do want to remind yeah. our listeners that we're, we're talking with the director of the new documentary film called The Russian Five, and you can find out more about the... About the film by going to, and I want to make sure I spell this out correctly. Just to, it's just called uh, the Russian Five. So spell it out: therussianfive.com. Yeah, you can the you can find out more about it. And we're speaking with the director Joshua Real. So uh, there's uh, in the time we have left, uh, I want to talk about. Uh, I mean, these are uh, we get to know them in the film. We get to know these five yeah. men, uh, and they uh, you manage to make them sort of come alive not only as hockey players but also as people talking about um, uh, Konstantinov and his his wife and child and they yeah. seem to I mean that's the the cornerstone of why he was willing to make the leap um, but I also want to talk about how they changed hockey in America and, yeah. and, and, and I think that's a really cool because the Europeans g generally play a different style of hockey have in the past a uh, different style of hockey than we do in America and Canada describe a little bit about sort of that part of the what they did yeah so you know the North American style of hockey is it about you know they call it dump and chase where you basically you get possession of the puck you shoot it in the other team's zone and then you go bang at the boards right and it's a bit it's, it's more physical it's, it's about positioning and, and strength and all that well you know igor larianov you know and this is part of the russian philosophy used to say well i work so hard to give up get the puck why am i going to want to give it away right <laughs> so the russian style was based on this old uh rushing uh game called bandy where it's about controlling the tempo and passing. And so, you know, they developed this style and started in the 60s with Tarasov. And then their coach, Tikhanov, sort of refined it and then using this sort of uh, dictator 
ship powers to really combine the style with the, the military regiment that these players wanted to leave. Um, but they played a game where it was about controlling the puck, making precision passes, finding an open guy, and then keep moving so that eventually someone gets open and a good scoring chance. And, you know, you don't want to give the puck away. And so, you know, the, Ru- the Russian five came in and they started playing the style in Detroit and the league was just like, what, what, what's going on? We can't <laughs> stop these guys. And, you know, the NHL is a league where it's, it's, if something's successful, pretty soon everyone else wants to copy it. So now, you know, you have 20-some years later, everyone tries to play the puck possession game. You know, yeah. the, the, yeah. it's become a, a skill, speed style league, uh, and they're starting to phase out some of the fighting and the toughness. Um, and that can be directly contributed to the success that the Russian Five had, winning the Stanley Cup in Detroit and showing just how dominant that style of hockey can be if you have the right players in it, you know, and the Red Wings built the dynasty using puck possession. Right. Even as the, you know, the number of Russians went from five to four to three to two to one, they still played that style. Yeah. So yeah, you know, it's, it's you had know, a huge impact on the game. It did. It, I'll and, tell you, and, you know, and not just the style, but the fact that the game is now an international game. Right. You know, and the Russian five really not just brought a new style, but they brought a new mentality prior to them. The, you know, the, the general consensus in the NHL was, Europeans are soft. They don't care about the Stanley Cup. You're not going to win with them. Well, the Russian Five show that that's not true. Yeah. And so now, you know, the league is so international. And there's, you know, this month or next month, you know, one of the top two picks is, is going to be a Finnish kid. Yeah. Um, that, in a lot of ways, is because of what the Russian Five did. Yeah, and you know it's funny. There's an old saying back uh, in around this time that uh, about the NHL, right? That uh, so the joke was, I went to a boxing match and a hockey game broke out, and you know that was that was what it was considered to be, just sort of a a, a, a kind of a football style of of skating around yeah. and and sort of beating your opponent in the submission and and then you'd score uh so and and you're right because that that style is a beautiful thing to watch and also i really is one of the big impediments for me as a sports fan to watching hockey because it's obvious these these uh, these athletes are gifted the ability to yeah. do what they do is amazing i've been to a couple hockey games in my life i was fortunate enough to sit right behind the goalie literally right next to the guy who hits the the red line Light when it starts, yeah. and I'm, I'm telling you, you have no idea how insanely crazy it is to imagine trying to do what they do. I mean, it is nuts oh, yeah. what they do, and so that style really translates well not only for the health of the players involved, but also for me as a fan to watch it. It's so much more enjoyable to watch them actually get to do what they're really good at, as opposed to. By beating the snot out of each other, and I, I know I'm, yeah. in, I know I'm being a little harsh on the old style, but for me as a sports fan, that's how it came across, comes across to me. Well, I mean, I think that's you know the Red Wings in that era, you know, and they show in this film were so entertaining and so good because they kind of hybridized that, right? They still had toughness. They still yeah. had guys who, yeah. if someone stepped on a line, and you see in the film that yeah. that happens, that there's someone there who's going to make them pay, you know, but they moved away from like, that's all they did, you know, and there are teams that that's, they were just bullies. Well, Phil- the Philadelphia the- style, but we're still going to have our toughness. Right. And we're going to win combining these two. And you know, what I love about it is, it, you know, it's the subtext of it, which is sort of 
I think the the combination to being successful in anything, which is, you know, the locker room when the Russians came was that first kind of leery of them. Uh, who are these guys? What, what are the, what's their deal? And slowly as the Red Wings assembled five and the team saw their style and how good it made them, the Americans, the North Americans, the Canadians, they started to adopt their style. They started to play more like the Russians. And the Russians started to get a little tougher, right? And each side started learning from each other. And, yeah. and by the time they win the Stanley Cup, there's no division. There's no difference. You know, the guy who starts the biggest brawl in the history of the Detroit Red Wings is the professor, right? The least likely guy to ever throw a punch. But he knew that, like, that was the moment where his team needed him and he needed to show some toughness. Yeah. So he did, you know? And yeah. this is a guy, again, who's considered basically the Russian Wayne Gretzky. Yeah. Um, but both sides learned from each other and made each other better. And it wasn't until that happened that the Red Wings won. And I think that's a, just a great lesson for life, which is, like, you know, people who we might think are the other or our enemies or something, like maybe there's something that we can learn from them and maybe there's something that they can learn from us that we can all benefit from. And I think that, you know, I hope that's like sort of the subtext of something that people take away from this story. Well, that, you're exactly right. And I think I think you're right about that assessment of the film. I think that the, that is a lesson from this. And, uh, and I will just, uh, again, going back, I was just uh, uh, talking about, when you were talking about the old style, I mean, the, 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 what the bullies of Broad Street, right? The Philadelphia yeah, Flyers the Philadelphia teams. Flyers. Philadelphia yeah. Flyers were known for just essentially pulverizing the opponents, and I'm, I know it went. It was ramp. I mean, that's how it was played. That's how you played hockey back then. And again, yeah. I would say, uh, and maybe a bit of a stretch here, but look at the national and look at the NBA, right? And how it's evolved from the <laughs> from the Detroit Pistons yeah. to today, where uh, if the ball's in somebody's hands for more than a couple of seconds, it seems almost like an, an anomaly. Now you have right. it's constant motion. The best, most successful teams now in in professional basketball are the ones who can move the ball around and do ad adopt a kind of a Russian hockey mentality, yeah. keeping the ball away from the opponent. And for me, as a sports fan, this is the thing that I want to see. I want to see gifted athletes doing the most gifted things that I can imagine them being able to do. And that's so, um, so there's a little bit of all, there's a lot of things in this film. It has been very successful. It's been held over in cities across the country where it's played. Yeah. It's been, it's, it's really striking a chord. And I, if you want to talk a little bit about that before we let you go, Joshua, go ahead and, and chime in. Yeah, it's just been a really phenomenal uh, response to the movie so far. You know, we've, we've played probably over 70 cities. At this point, um, we're about to, you know, this week we're opening uh, in New York City at the IFC Center, um, which is just, as you know, the filmmaker, they have your first feature film premiere at the IFC Center. It's, just, <laughs> it's a trip. It's surreal, you know. Um, so, you know, critically, the movie's been well responded to. Um, you know, our box office numbers are, are really great for a, a self-release documentary. Um, or iTunes pre-sale, which just went up this last week. We're already charting in the top. So, you know, all of that's great. But to me, what's really special is, is we created something, my team and I, that has given fathers an opportunity and, and mothers and, and grandfathers and grandmothers and, and uncles and I, all that to sort of share this story that was such an integral part of all of our experiences growing up with their sons, their daughters, their niece, their nephew, their grandkids, um, kids who don't know the story, um, weren't alive 
when the wings were the dead wings. You know, they didn't know the struggle and sort of share this experience of what it was like for all of us in Detroit, Metro Detroit, in the early to late 90s and pass that information along. And so, you know, at all of our screenings, especially in Michigan, we'd see fathers bring their kids and they're all wearing their Red Wings jerseys together. And it really sort of becomes this family affair, which I think is what is awesome and special about sports. You know, like I I got into sports because my father, you know, taught me baseball and we watched football and hockey together. And so like, I, I really do think sports is a way for us to connect with our other generations. And, you know, it's just so happened that this film allowed younger generations to understand the story that was so, so important for this area. It really um, is. And it's just been really cool. Yeah, it's been, it is a wonderful film. Fred, we're going to, we need to wrap it up because, uh, uh, well, anyway, Joshua Real, this is a, uh, thank you so much for being here on Film School. The film again is The Russian. Oh, you're very welcome. The film again is The Russian Five. It is opening, as you said, in New York this week. You can go to therussian5.com to find out more about it. And yeah, you pre order it right now on iTunes, and then it will, it will be released next Friday, June 7th, which will be the, uh, I guess it'll be the 22nd anniversary of the Red Wings winning their first Stanley Cup in 42 years. Well, yes. Yeah, that's right. Well, congratulations, Joshua Real, for for, uh, your time here today on Film School. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.